This is Telehealth Unmuted, a podcast developed by Heartland Telehealth Resource Center. HTRC is one of 14 federally designated telehealth resource centers in the country, serving the states of Kansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma. We know there's a huge need for up-to-date telehealth-related information, from billing and reimbursement to psychology and online therapy. So we're bringing subject matter experts and their insights right to you. I'm your host, Kara Lawler, Director of Health Communication Research Center, and this is Telehealth Unmuted. So today on the show, we have a very special guest, Ben Bingham. He is the project director at Native Connections Program of the Eastern Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma, where he works to empower and support youth to access positive lifestyle choices and mitigate the impact of alcoholism, drug abuse, and suicide. He has 33 years of experience with hospitals, counseling services, and case management. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you, Kara. It's nice to be here. It is great to have you, and this is going to be a real treat for our listeners because Ben is a very interesting person with a very interesting career, and um, I'm just excited to get started and jump in. So, Ben, I always like to start the show kind of by setting the stage and giving you know our listeners some context as to who you are and what you do. So uh, can you give us a little bit of background into your career journey, kind of starting with you know post high school up until this point? Um, how would you kind of summarize that journey up until now and what you currently do? I like to work. I've, I've always been taught to do hard work. That's kind of what has always been part of my life. My grandfather always taught me that, you know, you should always do your best. My dad was a, uh, he worked some very hard labor all his life. So working hard, it's always been in my family. So I've always done stuff to, to work hard and support my family. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And and it really shows because, and we'll, we'll jump into this in a little bit, but uh, Ben has a really unique career trajectory and has held uh, different positions in different industries. And so um, I'm really excited to kind of hear more about that. But at the present moment, he's the project director at Native Connections Program of the Eastern Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma. So Ben, can you tell us what, what do you do? What, what is this position and what, what do you work on? in this job? My position, um, it's part of the SAMHSA uh, program with the federal government. It's a grant and it's to, uh, to help our native youth, which they classify native youth as ages eight to 24 with substance abuse and suicide prevention. And to do that, we try to use our culture, our native culture to uh, give these kids another way to uh, deal with deal with a lot of that. So, you know, we want to try to give them something positive to, uh, to, to do instead of, you know, maybe getting, going down that road of doing drugs or drinking, or, you know, maybe something's really bothered them. There's, we have people at these events who maybe they'll either pick it up or we always supply, uh, pamphlets and outreach and our, we have a counselor that has, we put their card out. So even if they don't want to say something in public, there's access there that they could get help if need be. And some places they just can't find this information um, when they need it. That's really cool. So trying to visualize how this works in execution. So are you, um, do you go out into the community or how does the process work of, you know, even being able to interact with the youth populations? Like, are you, do you meet with them or how does the recruitment and identification and then the kind of collaboration work um, in your position? Well, COVID has put a damper on a lot of things that we were going to do in a perfect world where we didn't, we weren't dealing with the COVID and all the guidelines that have restricted things. We would hold, we would hold events, usually quarterly gatherings where we would do dancing. We would teach language with um, the aid of our cultural department, which I actually fall under. We would hold classes to teach how to sew. We garden with the kids and talk a little bit about uh, like the the three sisters that we grew long, long ago, which was corns, beans, and squash. Uh, we just try to give a lot of different outlets for these kids and let them teach something and let them learn about their culture and hopefully inspire them to do more and you know give them a positive outlook. 
So that's that's what we would do in a perfect society if we weren't dealing with this pandemic. Now we've had to try to figure out other ways. So we've done a PSA for uh, suicide prevention. We've done a billboard. We've reached out to some local schools and we have some uh, TVs we've installed that are, they run PowerPoints that have information, phone numbers they can call ranging from underage drinking um, all the way up to dating violence and um, everything between. So that's made me real happy. So, but this is, this is what we do. We just try to find a ways to, you know, use our culture to help the kids. We, if our uh, ceremonial chief knows some, a kid that needs help, you know, we, uh, we do sweat lodges down here at times and they will, if those kids and those, and that person's parents would like, you know, that's an option for them. We have a traditional counselor on staff through my grant. That's an option for them. Um, so we're just trying to help, help these kids, you know, make good choices. And, and, you know, on the end of the day, saving a life is a lot better than not being there when they needed us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a couple follow-up questions. Um, can you describe Ben to us? Um, how would you describe the Eastern Shawnee tribe? What area of Oklahoma does it cover? And, um, you know, kind of describe what that, what that community is like you know, as you're, as you're part of it. We're in Northeast Oklahoma in Ottawa County, very rural area. Um, our actual main complex of the tribe is, is right next to the Missouri border. There's a road that, that there's a road that goes down to our powwow grounds in this and our little park that you can stand in a certain place and be two different states. So that's where we are. <laughs> So cool. And so do a lot of the people um, who are part of the, the um, community live in close proximity to each other? Would you say, you know, it's kind of hyper localized to that area or do you stretch kind of across the state? Uh, most of our tribal members are actually out of state. Really? In, in Oregon, Washington, Texas, place like that. Interesting. Okay. So how many people are, um, do you know the like kind of ballpark estimate of the population of your tribe? Last I knew 3,500. Okay. About approximately 3,500. Wow. Okay. I didn't, so, and, and people are pretty spread out. So how do you um, kind of communicate and have that community building? Do you have like Zoom calls to kind of check in with each other? I know we're living in the age of <laughs> Facebook and social media. How do you, how do you stay connected? Uh, the, the tribe every month, uh, puts out a newsletter, and it, every every department every department will put a a uh, article in there in relation to their department, and then you know our chief will put a let uh, write some articles. They include our business committee minutes, and those go to every re registered tribal household. Wow. Okay. And and so and this might be maybe an obvious question, but did did you grow up in this tribe? Um, I grew up pretty close, but I, I didn't know a lot about my tribe until uh, later in my life. I knew, I always knew I was Eastern Shawnee, but I didn't know what all that entailed other than, you know, we had a powwow, we had a park I could go play at. Yeah. So um, can you kind of describe to me what was the journey of, you know, becoming involved in your tribe and taking a leadership position in your tribe? How did you go from kind of you know, having more of a kind of distanced relationship with it to what you have now. I'll share a funny story with you. So I'm Cherokee on my dad, my dad's side. And um, my mom accidentally married one of my dad's cousins. And um, so his grandma died. And um, my mom, during the funeral process, they decided to do a native funeral. They contacted who, who is now our ceremonial chief. They contacted him and said, hey, we would like to do uh, an, an Indian funeral for our relative, could you help us? So he came down, he helped us go through the three days, buried her by hand and all that. And I helped. And during that time, I was kind of, I was in between jobs at the, at that time. I was, I was looking for a better job, a little closer to home. And I really got interested. It was like, you know, I didn't know we did this stuff. And I got to talking to uh, 
the chief, the ceremonial chief. Um, and I really, I really like, he was a really nice guy. I really enjoy helping him. And I'm like, I would like to learn more about this. So that got me started helping him when he needed. Uh, I started coming to language classes because the tribe was, was actually offering them. The, the ex-governor of the absentee Shawnees, a man by the name George Blanchard, was actually coming down here so many weekends a, a month and was doing language class. So I started, I started learning some of the language. And um, eventually I'm like, you know, I wouldn't mind doing this. And I got lucky and I had met a girl at the time who lived near the tribe. So I ended up moving up here. So I was able to go to more things. And then I was like, well, I need a job. And, and if I don't take a job somewhere around here, I'm not going to get to keep doing this stuff. So I ended up going and working for the tribe. And I've, I've been here since 2010. Wow. That, that is so interesting. So how do you think your, your experience of being a member of the tribe has shaped your identity as a person? And how do you think that's kind of influenced your identity, you know, with other communities within the U.S.? Like, what, what do you, what does that feel like for you? And how do you, how do you kind of think about your identity as a result? I feel a lot more complete since I've learned more about, I mean, I'm, I'm a mix of about five different things. I'm Scottish, Cherokee, Eastern Shawnee, Irish, you name it. I probably, I'm probably got some blood or some family from there, but I mean, I just, I don't know, do the lot learning more about it. It felt like there was something I, I was missing. I don't know. I've always like the first time I went to go actually go, go to one of our traditional ceremonies and dance was one of the greatest things I ever got to do. So it, it, I really made me feel more complete, even though starting at such I mean, I started when I was 30 and, and starting at that age, it's been, uh, it's been extremely hard to remember and learn everything. I mean, I've forgotten most of what I've learned already just because I don't get to use it as much as I'd like, but I, I'm proud that I know what I know. If someone wanted to learn, I could point them the way to go, or I could share what I've got. Yeah, definitely. And and what do you think you said that you're proud of what you know? What's the biggest thing that you've learned, you know, in your journey of becoming, you know, involved in in your tribe? I mean, that's that's a really difficult to answer. I've learned a lot. I mean, I can actually speak some of our language. I know I know certain funerary customs. I know what our ceremonial dances are for when we have them. Um I learned I've learned how to stomp dance. I can sing a, I can sing a little. I've learned a lot. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to say, which was the most important because it was all important. Cause it gets back to that, that sense of, you said belonging and completeness, right? Mm -hmm. And, and part of belonging and, and feeling part of a community is by participating in what the community is doing, right. In the form of dancing, in the form of singing, in the form of um, speaking the language and having kind of that shared commonality with your uh, peers and the, the the people around you. That's really cool. Um, I'm just very curious. And so like kind of zooming out a little bit, right, to kind of where we started and where we're going um, in terms of, you know, today's conversation, you know, you are the project director and you are serving your community in such a big way. What has been, you know, the most impactful or interesting project that you've worked on in your role? And maybe that's also a hard question. <laughs> I would, I would say writing the book we did. Yeah. So tell us, um, and I got to look at it very, very cool. And I'm going to go ahead and pull it up so that I can be sure to reference it. Everyone, Ben, um, wrote a book, correct? You wrote it. I didn't write all of it. There okay. are some I wrote. There's some that people, people who knew more than me wrote for me. And then there was some, I just had to research because not, we didn't know everything we needed. And I had to put some scientific facts in as well, because I wanted this book was aimed for easy enough for a child to read it, but interesting enough, a teen or older would, would want to be interested too. So I'm, I put scientific facts in it. We put our tribal beliefs in it. Um, everything that is in it 
I had our ceremonial chief and some spiritual uh, tribal, some spiritual leaders of the tribe read and approved. So we, we didn't want anyone to be upset with what we did. We wanted to make sure this was culturally appropriate. So, um, you know, for our listeners who you know, are probably going, well, what, what's this book? Tell us what it's about. It's called Shawnee Life. And um, it's in, how would you describe it then? I definitely, I mean, I think of it as a guide with different, you know, terms and um, explanations of things that are significant to the tribe and accompanying images um, kind of to, to take you through that and to show you the different aspects. But um, would you say that's accurate or how would you kind of expand upon that? That's that's pretty accurate. That's what I wanted. I wanted to give, I wanted to create something that would spark that interest in, in people when they got to read it about more. I'd like to know more about my tribe. Or I didn't know this. I didn't know we did this. I didn't know we used this for this. Yeah, and it, and it goes through lots of different entities and, and objects and explains them. So the, the significance of water, the sacredness of, of fire. Um, I'm just kind of going through tobacco, cedar, um, sage. Really interesting. And and as you kind of go through it, it, it talks about the usage within the tribe, um, which I think is really cool. There's also these beautiful visuals that were done. And if you go to the very bottom, um, there's a list of all the artists that helped collaborate. You had five artists? Mm -hmm. That is quite a few. So can you tell us a little bit about the process of, of making this book and, um, you know, how, what, you know, how long has it taken to put this together? It didn't take as long as I would have liked. We, we kind of had a crunch time. So um, right after COVID hit, um, the federal government gave us a supplemental grant on top of my normal grant. And so there was discussion on what to spend that funding on. And I didn't really like the options some uh, we, were, we had at first. And so I got to talk to my ceremonial chief and we went over my original grant. And I'm like, look, it says in this grant, you know, you and our TIPO, which is our Tribal Historic Preservation Officer, would get with these kids and one-on-one -on -one teach them how to start fire or teach them what we use cedar for, or, you know, show, tell them about why water is so important to us. And I said, we can't do that now. You know, we're on lockdown. Everybody's, you know, afraid of getting together because of COVID. I said, so we can't do that. And I said, there might be people who want to know this thing or need to know it. I said, why don't we write a book? And I said, we'll make sure it's appropriate but I'd like to write this book. And I said, I would like images in it so they can actually see it or get a, uh, get a idea through this, through these pictures. And he loved my, my ceremony chief. He was my supervisor at the time. He loved the idea. I talked to our tippo. He really liked the idea as well. And so I said, well, let's, we, we pitched it to SAMHSA. They approved it. So I kind of started, I started writing the articles at that point. Sean King, he's our ceremonial chief. He, he really helped me a lot. He wrote, he wrote an article, our TIPO, Brett Barnes at the time, he helped review them. Our new TIPO, uh, Paul Barton helped review them. I wrote most of them and just had, from what I had been taught, you know, what I knew, I wrote them and then I took them to him and said, hey, is this okay? Have I put anything in here that we little unsure about, do we want everybody to know this? Will people take it the wrong way? And so we did some editing. And once I had the articles written, it was time to find artists. Now, we didn't get the funding till late because COVID slowed everything down. So it went from like, a, it was going to be like a six month grant to like, we had like three months to, to expend our, our, our funds. Luckily, they extended that later because I was really stressing how to write this thing in, in three months. So my grant focuses on youth. So I wanted Native youth involved in the process of, of drawing. And we knew some art. We knew one local kid. He was pretty good. He, he, he would bring art in when he was a tribal youth employee. And so I posted, I posted jobs up via Facebook jobs, in our tribal newsletter, on my program's Facebook pages, wherever I could get an art, uh, 
a job posting. I, I tried to get it on there. And we were focusing on tribal members, uh, tribal spouses, tribal youth. And then if I couldn't get those, the general public, because we wanted this to be a, a tribal book. And I got five really good folks. I had a few more, but um, these were the five that kind of spoke to me, so to speak. So we got two tribal youth, a tribal member who's done a lot of art. And then we had, well, sorry, two tribal members that have done art. And then we got a, a really nice lady by the name of Heather, who wasn't tribal, didn't know, didn't know a lot about us, about our tribal ways, but nicest lady you could meet. I could send her any images that I'm like, hey, this is what we're looking for. She'd do anything. She's very respectful, wonderful lady. I'd, I'd recommend her anytime. But the goal was always our tribal youth would have the front and back cover. So we did that. We um, they, they were real good. They got them in quick. We got them put together. Our own tribal print shop printed out the books for us, helped us mail them. They went to every tribal household that we have on file. And, um, and then I kept extras for if anybody wanted one. I also, as part of this, um, as part of the contracts with all of our artists, the tribe owns artwork for now and forever. So all this artwork in the, in the book, if the tribe wanted to at some later date, they could, they could sell prints. They could put it on postcards. Anything they wanted to do, I wanted to make sure the tribe had the rights of the art. Now our artists can show the art and be like, hey, we drew this as part of a commission, but we own the art. Wow. This is so cool, Ben. This is such a cool project. Um, and I, so it went to every household that you had on file. Have people kind of talked about their, you know, reception of it? What, what is, what has been the comments, you know, since then? Uh, mainly positive. I mean, we've had a few people say, you know, they didn't know any of this. They, and it did lead to some wanting to know more. And it's my hope, uh, maybe probably not with my grant because it's just so focused, but it's hope, my hope of either, uh, they'll either find another grant or the cultural department will find funding. They'd write another one. My, my pitch when I first did this is like, think of this as the Encyclopedia Britannica. This is volume one. So future volumes to come. Do you have any ideas in the works right now? Or are you taking a little break <laughs> before the new year to crank out volume two? I mean, I know what I'd like in it. And it's a little bit beyond me to write. But I'd like to see one talking about our social dances, you know, and maybe, maybe with some artwork and then in the back of the book, there could be a flash drive or a DVD, what have you, that would either have the songs for these on there. So you could listen to them or even maybe some video of people dancing them. So you could see how to dance them if you wanted to learn um, something around that. And like I said, the sky's the limit because we could keep doing them. And if, if we did a bunch of short books, maybe eventually we could just make one big book and, and keep that at the tribe. Yeah. No, that would be really cool. And and so, you know, I feel like the subtext behind having books and, and behind creating these resources to send out is to raise awareness, um, you know, and I about what the Eastern Shawnee tribe is and, and specific things about the tribe, right? Um, for both like, you know, the people within the tribe to celebrate, but also those who are, are not part of it and, and don't have that, you know, knowledge. Um, you know, as we're kind of talking about this, is there something, I, what is something most people, you know, just don't know about the Eastern Shawnee tribe? I actually looked this up because that's a really tough question because I don't, you know, there's things I still don't know about us. I mean, everybody knows Tecumseh was Shawnee. Everybody knows about him. But so I, I, did a little research and the tribe has made a book or two. So I got through there. And one of the things I thought a lot of people probably don't know is in 1831, our ancestors signed a treaty, which uh, removed us from our homes in Lewistown, Ohio. Uh, we traveled to where we are now in modern day Oklahoma with a mixed band of Shawnees and Senecas. Yeah. 
I mean, and there is a large tribal population in Oklahoma. Well, just in our area, there are nine tribes. Just in Ottawa County, right where we, right where I'm at, there is nine tribes. Wow. Um, do the tribes like interact at all, or you know, have some like any collaborative like you know involvement? I don't, I you know, committees or you know, community events where they come together. I I think it varies depending on tribe to tribe, but. I do know all the chiefs of the nine tribes do have like a meeting, a monthly meeting. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's like, and some of it probably is based on tribe to tribe. Like I work uh, with the Quapaws real well because uh, they have a, the same grant as I do. They have a Native Connections grant. So um, I've, I've made pretty good acquaintances with the lady that runs it and we're doing the same thing. So a lot of times it's, Hey, you know, I'm doing this. Would you like to join? Would you like to come? And because it counts for both of us, we we get to we get to collaborate, and you know, we both get to do something that's on our our deliverables. We need to do, and with both of us working on it, we have a higher chance of reaching more people. Right. That to- that definitely makes sense. And and so, you know, with the grant um, funding one of the big goals of the grant is helping with health outcomes, right? Um, you know, as it relates to mental health and substance use and, and all of these things, are there any health challenges that are specific or common to the Shawnee tribe that, you know, you really focus on with this grant funding? Uh, the grant, the grant specifically just says suicide prevention and uh, substance abuse. So we, we cover the gambit on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and you have a large background in mental health, right? Um, like years of experience. Can you kind of talk about your journey of working in the mental health sphere? I, I didn't technically work in the mental health sphere the whole, uh, during that time. I had a brother who was very mentally ill. He was a bipolar schizophrenic and, uh, you know, I helped, I was the oldest child in my family. So I helped my mom a lot. Me and my me and my older me and my other brother, we helped a lot with him. So we would, you know, help my mom go to court, deal with CPS, um, you know, take care of him when he he was able to go places, stay with stay by himself because he was still able to do certain things. So you know, he had his own home. We just made sure he was taken care of, which was someone in that situation. It's very hard to take care of. They're very, he was very set in what he wanted to do, whether it was good for him or not. So it was a very, so I learned a lot, you know, dealing with my brother who was bipolar and schizophrenic. And there was days, you know, we were, I was his best friend and there was days he hated me and wanted me to die. So it took a lot of patience. Yeah, definitely. What, um, I guess, what skill did you learn or develop that, you know, really helped aside from patience, right? Um, in, in that, in that time in your life. There are certain things I learned that when he was having his episodes, there's certain, there were certain signs that he was, you know, he was manic or there were certain signs he had done something he didn't want anybody to know. So he was acting a different way. There were, so I learned how to pick up on certain signs when talking to someone with those, with those mental health issues, because they just have a different way of reacting. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and so now, you know, in your role, you work with youth and you work to, um, you know, support them and empower them to make those positive lifestyle choices, um, to kind of mitigate, the harm of, you know, reverting to alcoholism or drug abuse or even, you know, suicidal tendencies. How did that time in your life kind of inform what you do now? How did that prepare you for, for your current position where you, I mean, serve, serve youth that might be struggling with stuff like that? I think I've always liked helping people. I've always enjoyed, well, not enjoyed, it always upset me to know when my friends were, were, were having tough times or upset or hurting. And it, I've always enjoyed 
enjoyed the wrong word, but I've always, I've always had a concern for my friends and family and, you know, and then I went through some things and learned a lot and, you know, I was like, well, you know, if I can help, if I can help one person, it'd be worth it. And then when this position came up, I was like, I could do that. I know, I know some of, some of these things. I know what to look for. Um, I think I could do this job, this position. So I applied and I've been here for, uh, well, I started the end of year one and now we're on year four. Yeah. And um, you said this earlier, I think before we kind of officially started the interview, but um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, you know, what you, um, maybe some of the different lifestyle choices that you encourage for youth when you're working with them? Like, how do you um, kind of go about helping them or supporting them typically? Um, it's been, like I said, we haven't got to do a lot with, um, with everyone because of, uh, COVID mainly we've got to deal with the after school kids, um, which are, I don't know, maybe 12 is the oldest. So we just do a lot of fun stuff. I'm I'm a big proponent of doing things that are fun because if I don't think it's fun, I know, I know the 10 year old is going to be not having any fun. And if they're not having fun, they're not going to do any, do anything. But what we try to do, especially because it's a rural area, this kind of this kind of uh, suicide prevention is a very difficult topic. Being a rural area, it's very almost ignored unless it's happening kind of kind of atmosphere. So it's we don't do I don't try to do it in your face. So we might have a gathering, but I make sure where everyone signs in, we have all of our information and our counselor's phone number sitting there. So if a kid wants to pocket that, it's there for him. If he wants to come up and talk to someone, we're here for them. It seems to be working. Our counselor's caseload has more than tripled since we've started since we got him on board. Wow. When did you get him on board? November, it was around September, November uh 2019, I believe. Okay. Okay, so about two years now, and I'm, I'm I'm assuming part of this is also the aftermath of the pandemic and the impact of the pandemic on youth. I think that helped increase how many clients he got. I don't think it stopped anything from happening. I think the problems were already there. It's just that they got worse because everyone was locked indoors. A lot more people got anxious a lot more people got depressed and he had been around long enough and there was enough word of mouth going around or positive reputation more people felt comfortable reaching out because at first nobody wanted to talk to a counselor right you know what if what if he goes and tells so and so in the tribe i'm seeing him you know was actually valid concern was concerns that tribal members had you know what if people see me going in to talk to him which we ended up moving to do a different building so we're very uh we're on our we're not so close to the main campus so no one really sees people coming in and out and and my my opinion is if you're coming to see the counselor that's your business I don't need to know anything about it that's that's your personal business so I don't pay attention who comes in and out, they're getting help. That's all that matters. Yeah, no, definitely. So I'm curious, um, how, how has telehealth and telemedicine kind of played a role in, um, the professional, the counseling services that your community is providing to youth? Uh, our counselor does do a lot of zoom calls now, but I think a lot of people had to meet him in person before they were just willing to do telehealth they weren't just really willing to do it just off the bat off the bat it also helped there was some referrals from our uh, other departments who were telling them that hey this this guy can help you if you'll just call him so I think I think once we got past that barrier telehealth has actually been a pretty um, pretty good for us now some other places we do have a employee telehealth program it's kind of new still, and I, I think it's in that section where people are worried about using it. There's not really a face, you know, 
I think it's it's a lot different. It really is. It's a lot different with sitting some, with somebody and talking to them versus kind of like what me and you are doing now. We're over we're over the the computer staring at a screen. I think you lose that human aspect. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm curious. You know, as we look at tribal health and we think about tribal health, what role do you see telehealth and telemedicine playing? you know, in a positive way going forward, I guess, where, where would it be most beneficial or, you know, yeah. Where, where do you see it playing a role in healthcare, you know, in the next couple of years? If honestly, I think it'd be really helpful for our elderly if they could get tech savvy enough. A lot of our elderly we have here, um, and it's not all of them, but a lot of them have trouble with modern day technology. And so, you know, for our elderly that are, aren't able to walk, aren't real mobile or something, I think telehealth would be perfect for. It's just getting that there. And one of the suggestions of a fellow coworker made was, you know, maybe there could be a centralized location where these people could go and use a computer already set up for just for telehealth. Yeah, no, that's been um, extremely um, effective. I've heard other instances actually on this show where um, communities have implemented a designated spot to have a telehealth visit, you know, in, in public libraries or, you know, common places where people can go and access. Um, and I, I think it's really nice to have that. Um, and it provides, you know, a designated opportunity that, you otherwise wouldn't have. And so, um, I think that's, I think that's a really great idea and I've heard it being used and being very successful for, um, communities. Well, I'll have to pass that around. Maybe, maybe there's something will happen around here. Yeah, definitely. So then we are getting kind of to the top of the hour, which I don't know how that even happened. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, this is a telehealth show. This is a healthcare show and, and health equity is something that we're going to continue to talk about. Is there anything today that, um, you know, you want to mention, um, you know, about your work, about your experiences, um, that I haven't asked you about, or you haven't been able to uh, mention? I mean, you wanted to, you wanted to bring up what got me here in the long run? I had such a odd um, job history. I mean, if you want, I could explain that a little more. Yes, yes, that's that's right. Um, so, Ben, can you tell us? <laughs> can you tell us about your journey How, from like high school to now? Can you give us an overview of your job history? <laughs> yeah, I, I I can, and it might it'll explain a little bit about why I'm having such good luck with at least one of our schools letting us in doing things. And I'll, I'll explain more on that too. That'll, that'll help. So I, I'm a Fairland high school graduate, went there the last six years of school of high school. Was it junior high and high school graduated from there. I ended up going to Tulsa for a while. Uh, I was trying to go to college and uh, I was, I was going to take the summer off. I wanted to goof off. I just got out of school. I wanted to go Buffalo. I was like, I'll start. I knew what school I wanted to go to. I knew what I wanted to go for. Um, and during that time, my mom got divorced and I am the oldest of five children. So I ended up getting a job working for Walmart to help support my family. And um, I stayed there for 13 years. I ended up getting married at one point, transferring out of Tulsa because I'm not a big city person. I love my, I love living in a small town. I worked there, eventually left there. I went to work with some relatives of mine who ran a tag agency. That was interesting. I learned I don't like touching people's money. Got to learn how the state runs a little bit on that, uh, on that end. And about that time I was uh, working on coming back to the tribe. That's when I got involved with learning more about the tribe. And so I was looking for other options and I ended up I ended up uh, going to work for Hard Rock, and it was kind of funny. When I took the job, I was like, look, this is what's going on. I actually ran for an election at that, that year with the tribe. So I was like, I may only be here six months, but I would really like a job, and I promised to work hard. <laughs> and so 
I ended up working as a bar back for uh, Hard Rock Casino. Really fun job. Learned a lot of lot of stuff. I got to I got to I like working with my hands and moving around a lot. So it's a really good job. I worked there, and then I decided, you know, I was I was ready to go to the tribe. I was ready to focus more on getting getting more about my tribe. So I ended up moving up here, and I got a job with our surveillance department, casinos. And I did that for three years. It's a very, very interesting job, but it was the opposite of what I've done most of my life. Um, it was a very, you sat in a chair all day. And so I wanted to get back out and do more physical work. So I ended up working for EPA. Uh, I became the recycling officer and it's exactly what it sounds. I picked up recycling and, and loaded trailers and stuff. Fun job, always busy. And then this job opened up and I took the job and I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of hard work, a lot of different things, but I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've got a great assistant who really helps me. I've got a good set of supervisors um, and I'm just here to try to help people. That's all I'm, all I'm doing. So in that course, we've, we've invented a PSA. It runs on, it runs on the local news networks. It's on YouTube. Uh, we've got a billboard to try to help. We've, uh, because of COVID, we can't have our events we usually do. So they got me on YouTube now. I've had to do some videos. And what we try to do is uh, we always do something over a serious topic. Like we've done one over depression. We've done over one over uh, domestic violence and suicide. Uh, I think we've done one over meth. And then as the second part of all these videos we do, we do an activity, a cultural activity where we've had our language specialist, he's got on and taught some language. We've done a sewing class where I sat down and sewed and taught them how to make a bag um, from a kit. We've had someone get on and one of our fellow cultural department employees got on and she sewed a shawl from start to finish. And we recorded that. So we try to do something that, yeah, it's heavy stuff. It's stuff that no one's ever truly comfortable talking about, but it needs to be addressed. But then we do something with the culture to try to, you know, lighten the mood a little on that and to teach someone. And maybe they'll get involved and they'll call and say, hey, we'd like to do this in person. Could you set some time up to come down and us to come in and teach us how to sew? And that's what it's about trying to get that interest where people are willing to, you know, come to come learn stuff about the tribe versus go drinking or, you know, go do drugs. You know, maybe they could, maybe something in the cult, our tribal culture will speak to them and help them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, this is really moving Ben, And it kind of goes back to, um, what you said earlier about community and the importance of community and the importance of having that. Why do you think, you know, the community aspect of being a tribe member matters and can help so much for those struggling with mental health? I think there's a, just a dis different way of thinking when you're with your, your family. There's certain things that are never the same with your family versus say, you know, a love, a spouse. So there, you know, there's a different thing, but you know, your community, your family, when that something happens with your life, whether anything, you know, you usually fall on your, you usually fall back to your, your family and tribes aren't often like my tribe. We're all so related. It's like a big family. So there's a lot of times, you know, people fall back to their family. Hey, you know, I did when I got divorced, you know, I felt, you know, my family and my tribe is what got me through that situation. We seem to have, a lot of times we seem to have a more family oriented view, I think. And our tribe is part of that family oriented view because I mean, the chief of our tribe is like my second cousin removed. Her her great great grandma, or yeah, basically her great great grandma, or her great grandma is my great great grandma. They were sisters, and everybody spun off 
there because there was only you know only 258 made it down here when we came down here from Ohio in 1831 so there wasn't a lot of tribal members left so there's a lot of us all related and it's kind of funny when you sit down here and you start talking to other tribal members and they tell you who they're kin to and you find out well you know you're my cousin you're you're my second cousin and a lot of times that builds bonds it really does because you know now you have more family and there's there's negative aspects as well but I think a lot of times, as long as people don't focus on that, it's a very positive thing, and it does help, you know, especially if you get along with this person, you know, this is someone you can talk to. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, I'm, I'm really excited about this program, and I think it's fantastic. As we're kind of like looking ahead for the next year, um, what are you, what are you hoping for? What do you, what do you want? Um, what, what's your goal for your legacy within this organization and and the legacy of the organization just something continues when my when my grant runs out i would hope we still have this counselor or a counselor even if they decide not to stick with the one i have we have a counselor it really has increased a lot people really are using it i think it's i mean i've seen positives come out of it there there have been people helped with our counseling that needed it and they're on a lot better road now than they were and that makes me that makes me happy because that could have went a different route and so it is my hope that you know we keep a counselor and i know the cultural department will keep doing some of the the uh, gatherings we do and teaching people and maybe more people will start coming especially since we broadcast it through different channels now through my program um we work with the we've started working like uh, Fairland School, where I graduated to, I've got lucky. Like everybody in charge now were people I went to school with in one way or another. So the guy that was the last year's coach I was there who taught me taught me schooling is now the superintendent and who remembers me. And then the 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 super the principal now is a guy that was a year older than me that I kind of hung out with and he remembers me and. I was a goofy kid and now I'm kind of a goofy adult who's doing doing stuff to help people. So they've been really open about, you know, I'll come to them and I'll say, hey, this is what my program's doing. This is what I would like to bring to your school. What would you want? You know, would you be willing? And it's that, once again, I think it's that personal aspect you that they're like, yeah, you know, we know you, we know you were always, you you're trying to help these kids. We knew you when you were a kid. So yes. And they're a lot more open. We want this. If you do this, can you include this? I mean, when we first started, I sent them five PowerPoints of drugs, alcohol, suicide, the counselor, our PSA, and they actually came back and they're like, can you give us one on underage drinking? Can you make us one over dating violence? Can you give us one over this? And you know, that was great because that got to include other departments who focus on that. So I would send out them like, hey, you know, they're wanting this. What can you either give me the information and I can create it or will you create it and I'll send it to them. So it's really expanded who we're working with. And I've, it's, it's really been a good thing. And I think from just going with them versus another school, I think if it wasn't for the fact that I have this relationship with these people, we probably wouldn't have got as far as we did. They've even had our counselor come up and uh, they had a tragic situation in, in the in the school. And I, I don't want to go into details because I think I would I would need some people's permission. But there was a tragic accident next incident and they actually had our counselor come in and talk to all the staff. And I don't think that would have happened had a, we just been some random person. Right, right. So that community, I mean, it, the same thing that you are trying to instill in the youth that you're serving is something that you see, you know, in practice um, and you reap the benefits of because of your involvement in the community. And so, um, you know, you've seen the impact of, of, the positive impact of having these connections and having these relationships, right? And which I'm sure incentivizes you to want to give that 
to the next generation of people, right? To deal with things that are really hard um, and, and universally hard and, and very much human too. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've, I've grown up with some kids around the tribe and it would devastate me to, to hear they were having an issue that I could help them with. And no one ever said anything, but luckily there's times that they will say something because we've got that connection. We've grown, you know, they've grown up around me. They know, you know, I'm someone they can trust. So if they need help, I could help them. We could get them with the counselor or their parents will come and say, Hey, we'd like to go talk to your guy. We know you, we know you can be trusted. Our, our kid needs help. They'll go to the counselor because I've recommended it. It's just, I think you got to have that human aspect or else people just don't open up to anybody. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's really important to be approachable um, and show that you care. And, and I just, I think the work of this program is just fantastic and, and very, very necessary um, today and going forward and especially during, you know, this pandemic as well. And so um, great work, Ben. I, I know we're, <laughs> I said this before, we're, we're getting to the top of the hour actually now. And um, any kind of closing thoughts before we wrap up today? I always keep an open door to my office. So if anybody ever wants to come in and see what I'm doing or, or learns, you know, ask me questions, I'd rather them do it than, than just wonder what I'm doing. You know, I don't have anything to hide. I'll, I'll sit down and show you what we're working on, you know, what we've done to try to help kids, you know, some of the things we plan on it. And if someone has an idea that really fits with what my program is, I'm willing to try it because, you know, reaching these, reaching this youth is what I'm supposed to be doing is what I'm all about with this. Yeah, definitely. Ben, this is, this has been such a interesting conversation and I think really topical. Um, I'm looking forward to what's ahead for this program this upcoming year. Um, I'm excited to kind of stay tuned and, and get updates in the future. Um, and I, I just want to thank you again for coming on today and then talking about, um, your experience and your insights. It's been great. Of course. And if anybody wants to look up some of the YouTube I, I spoke of, uh, just type in the Eastern Shawnee tribe. Um, they have their own YouTube page and it'll be under native connections. Wonderful. We will be sure to link, um, some of these resources in the podcast, uh, description on social media. So be on the lookout for that so that you can follow up and see, some of the things Ben has talked about today. Thank you so much, Kara. This has been Telehealth Unmuted. Be sure to share this episode and subscribe to hear future interviews with leading experts in the field. This podcast was made possible by the Heartland Telehealth Resource Center through grant number U1UTH42530 from the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth, Health Resources and Services Administration and Department of Health and Human Services.